Open your Bible to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. We're near the end of our series, Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. And today I want to speak to you on this subject, false religion. Do you know that Satan loves religion? I'm telling you, he absolutely loves religion. Since he rebelled against God and fell from his lofty place of service as a mighty angel of God, he's been hatching out fraudulent schemes of religion hand over, over, over fist. I'm telling you, there's no telling how many religions have been created in the mind of Satan and thought about by the heart of man and developed by the heart of people. I read this week that in 2014, one man said that there were 4,200 religions in the world. Some of the notable ones are Buddhism, uh, Mormonism, Christian science, Hinduism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology. Now, let me say this very quickly. I want to, I want to make sure you get this down. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. All of these that I just mentioned and, and about 3,970 more are all religions. They're religions. Now look, let me tell you what religion will do for you. Religion will let you down. In fact, it'll let you all the way down into the bowels of hell when you breathe your last breath if you don't come out of a false religion. When Moses was writing Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he explained in chapter 10 how the sons of Noah and their families migrated to form the different nations along with their, their pertinent and, and relevant languages that they developed. Then he elaborated in chapter 11, and he showed us what caused them to migrate, what caused them to have different languages. Now, we're going to dip into both chapters today because there are two passages of scriptures in each of these chapters that go together like a hand in a glove. You see, uh, uh, in chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, and chapter 11, 1 through 9, they go together. They are parentheses in a, a larger narrative that is being developed here in the book of Genesis, getting us to, to the story of Abraham. And the, the, the coming of the Messiah at some point in the future. Now in our text today, we're going to see the beginning of a false religion. A religion that functions up until this very day. Let's see what the Bible has to say about the, the leader of this false religion. His name was Nimrod, Nimrod. Now, I hope and pray that you haven't named your child Nimrod because he's not a very likable guy. He's not a guy that you want your kids to emulate. In Genesis chapter 8, 
chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, we read the following. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod, and he became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, Ur and Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Now these verses deal with Nimrod, a descendant of Noah through his son Ham and through Cush. He is a, the great-grandson of Noah. He is said to have been the founder of the first world empire. And that empire had its start in the land of Shinar. Here's the first place in the Bible where you see the word kingdom used. And by the way, the word kingdom is not used here to refer to the kingdom of God. It's used to refer to the kingdom of Nimrod, the kingdom of Nimrod. In the language of that time, Babel meant the gate of God, the gate of God. So much emphasis is placed on Nimrod, and I think rightly so, because we need to understand this character. I believe he gave that early post-flood world a preview of the Antichrist who will make his appearance on this planet before the Lord Jesus comes. He is a type of Antichrist, and I want to show you why I would make such a bold comparison with Nimrod to the Antichrist. Well, Nimrod was the first person to be called a mighty man. Our text calls attention to this by referring to, to Nimrod three times as being mighty here in verses 8 and 9. He was a powerful, persuasive, rebellious king. Do you know what the name Nimrod means? The name Nimrod means let us rebel. That's why you don't need to name your son Nimrod. Let us rebel. That's the name and that's what it meant. I want you to see one particular description of the Antichrist that sort of fits with this description we read right here in Genesis chapter 10. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 in the New Testament, Paul wrote about the Antichrist. He said, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and will bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Verse 9, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness, for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the Bible talks here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 about the power 
of the Antichrist. And over here with Nimrod, we read three different times that the adjective mighty is used to describe Nimrod. He was lawless, as it says right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But not only was Nimrod the first person to be called a mighty man, but he was also brutal and bullish. He was called a mighty hunter. Now, some of you guys, you think, well, man, that's neat that way back there, right after they got off the boat with the flood, that there is a reference to Nimrod being a mighty hunter before God. He must have been a wonderful deer hunter or a, a, a turkey hunter or, or, or some other game. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. In, in fact, it means this. It means that he had a thirst for power and prestige. Nothing or no one would or could get in his way. Notice our text here in chapter 10 refers to the expansion of his kingdom. His kingdom was growing. He reached from, from Babylon, which the name Babel means Babylon, from Babylon into Nineveh, and, and the, the, which was in Assyria. And he, he, he was about world conquest. He was brutal and bullish. And he was a king. Nimrod was a king. The scripture refers to the beginning of his kingdom being in Babel. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, the Bible says that one day the Antichrist is going to make his appearance on this planet. And the Antichrist is going to come at a time when the world is looking for a leader to lead them out of all the misery and problems that the world is facing at the time. And this Antichrist will become a king. He'll be a king. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, the Bible speaks of this Antichrist. And it said, then the king, excuse me, then the king will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the God of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. So we see all of this about Nimrod, and, and it's so uh, like that of the Antichrist, which will come in the future. Here's another reason I say that he's, he's comparable to Antichrist. His base of operations was Babylon in the land of Shinar. There are two cities that are referred to over and over again in the Bible. Can you guess which two they are? One of them is Babylon. Babylon. And the other one is Jerusalem. You read your Bible, those two cities are referred to more than any other two cities in the history of the world. Now, Jerusalem is the city of God, and Babylon is the city of man. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 to 6, the Bible says, And he carried me away, this is John writing, The angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, 
full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. I want you to understand that all false religions were incubated in one form or another in Babylon. It's a seedbed of false religion. And the director and the leader of this movement in Babylon here in the post-flood era is none other than Nimrod. Now look, the passage we've looked at in Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 through 12 gives us a snapshot of the coming Antichrist. But in Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, we see a snapshot of the globalist agenda that is so prevalent today. You do realize that, don't you? You do realize that there's a globalist agenda that's taking shape before our very eyes. And I'll tell you, friend, the great leaders of our nation, the great leaders of other nations have all come to an agreement that we need to have a one-world government, we need to have a one-world religion, and we need to have a one-world economy. That's the only way they see that we can solve the vast problems that we face in the world today. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, this is after the flood. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. So when uh, Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives got off the boat, they began to farm, they began to take care of themselves, they began to, to migrate to the plain of Shinar. And they began to have kids, and kids began to have kids, and kids' kids began to have kids, and, and, and things were going great, and they had the same language and the same vocabulary. Verse 2, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. By the way, this is present-day Iraq. This is Iraq. The goal of Nimrod and the city he was building was to stand in defiance of God's clear commandment to them. Look back at Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible gave a commandment to Noah and to his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God blessed Noah, the Bible says in chapter 9, verse 1. And his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now that's a commandment from God. God, in other words, God says this I don't want you to settle down in one place. I want you to fill the whole earth. 
I want you to migrate and, and fill the whole earth, be fruitful and multiply. But what do we see here? We see Nimrod, the leader of this group now, convincing people that they need to settle down on the plain of Shinar. And they need to build a city, a great city, a great city that would have prominence and would cause them to be famous worldwide. Nimrod's ambition was brash and bold. He had a vision for the city, a, a desire for a name, a reputation, and a plan for a new religion. He had all of this ready. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them and thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. You know, when I was reading this, I thought about how God talks about building the church. The church is referred to as living what? Stones. Not clay that had been hardened and burned and, and, and molded together and held together by tar. No, he's talking about living stones stacked upon each other, strong and mighty, to endure the time and the, 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 the problems that might come our way. You see, anytime man tries to do something, it's always fragile. It's always, it always has a potential of falling apart, right? There's no hint of God in this verse. And there's no hint of God in the next verse. False religion always, now listen, false religion always starts with man who tries to work his way up to God. It's a works-based system. And we see it all over the world today. And it all started right there in Babylon, in Babel with Nimrod. What do we see? We, we see religion where you've got to wear a certain kind of clothes. We see religion where you've got to confess your sins to a priest. We see religion where you got to wash your sins away in a certain river. We see a, a religion where you must restrict yourself to a certain diet. We see religion where you must pray in a certain way and you must pray a certain numbers of time a day. We see religion where you must follow certain religious rituals and if you don't, you are absolutely done for. Listen, false religion is always works-based and man-centered. Notice the emphasis in verse 4. Verse 4, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They were bound and determined. They weren't going to do what God told them to do. It was all about themselves. They're doing everything for themselves. Now, this satanic 
false religion that Nimrod was championing was built on independence from God. They, they felt like they didn't need God. Well, they could handle everything that came their way. Notice they said, we'll build for ourselves a city. We'll make for ourselves a name. I, I, I found it interesting that they're building this Tower of Babel. You've heard that, that term over and over again. And, and, and it was to reach into heaven. And what does that mean? What's the significance of that? Notice that the reference to the Tower of Babel includes this description. Pay close attention. And a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now let me tell you, these people were not stupid. These people were not Neanderthals. These people were stunningly smart. Now the idea that when everything began, people were primordial slime and, and they suddenly became a, a tadpole and they suddenly became a monkey and eventually they become a man and, and eventually they just kept getting better and better and stronger and stronger, smarter and smarter. That, that is a, the lie of evolution. It's a lie. I want you to know the two smartest people who ever lived on this planet, smarter than Einstein, Einstein or anybody else that's ever lived, were Adam and Eve. Two smartest people ever live on this planet. And let me tell you, the people who were building under Nimrod's leadership, the Tower of Babel, they didn't think that they could build a, a, a tower all the way to reach into heaven. You know what they were doing? It's interesting in the text, the words we'll reach here are not included in the original manuscripts. In my Bible, they're in italics. Now, when you see something in italics in your Bible, it means that the translator supplied those words to make the reading smooth. And that's exactly what's happened here. So, so what's the meaning here with this tower? Well, archaeologists believe that, that uh, it means this tower is to the heavens. It's to the heavens, okay? Okay. It was dedicated to the heavens as a place of worship. Now, archaeologists have found ziggurats in Babylon with the zodiac etched into the top of it. Do you realize that anytime you study about astrology, it always says it originated where? In Babylon. In Babylon. And under the the, the idea of astrology and the zodiac, a person's destiny is said to be determined by whatever sign he is born under. The Bible strongly condemns astrology. The Bible strongly condemns any kind of demonic practices that takes away from the glory of God. I love what Dr. Rogers said about astrology. He said, and I quote, the purpose of the stars is to declare the glory of God, not the destiny of man. I would encourage you, don't dabble in astrology. I'm telling you, if you dabble in astrology, you are dabbling in the occult. 
And you don't want to dabble in the occult because the powers of darkness will suck you in deeper and deeper and deeper. Now look at verse 4 again. Not only did they say, let us make a city and a tower that will reach into heaven, but he said, let us make for ourselves a name. This is the, the, this is the ambition of Nimrod. He wanted he and the people to make a name for themselves. By the way, that's the mantra of our age, right? Let us make for ourselves a name. The mantra of the Antichrist and his one world globalist agenda will be the same thing. Let us make for ourselves a name. It's all about us. Let's be famous. Let's be powerful. Let's don't even make mention of God. Now let's turn our attention to God's response to all of this. You do know that God sees everything and God knows everything, right? He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He knows absolutely everything. Now the thing that, that just really grabbed my attention as I studied this text is simply this. And I want, I want you to put this in your heart and don't ever forget it. God always has the last word. Not Nimrod. Not the guys who were helping him build the city. Not the guys who were working on the Tower of Babel. They didn't have the last word. Let me tell you, friend, God always has the last word. Look at chapter 11, verse 5 to 7. This is interesting. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. What were, they, what were they trying to do? They were trying to build a tower into heaven, to heaven, as, as a, a monument to heaven, as a, a way to worship the God that they believed existed. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the Lord have to come down to see it? No, 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 not at all. This is a way for us to understand in our own human mind how God reacted and responded to this devilish satanic movement that was going on on the plains of Shinar. Verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, let me tell you, when, when, when God says nothing uh, which they purpose to do will be impossible for them, he's not saying that the level of their achievements, or there, there's no limit to their achievement. No, here's what he's saying. He said there's no limit to the depth of their depravity. And God had to do something to stop this depravity from going deeper and deeper and deeper. Because he'd already promised they wouldn't destroy the world again by a flood, right? So he had to stop it. Verse 7, what did God do? Well, look at it. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine the guys working 
on the Tower of Babel. They've been able to understand everything. And this guy turns to another guy and he said, hand me a brick. The guy said, what are you saying? I said, hand me a brick. Can't you hear? I do not understand what you're saying. And they couldn't understand each other. And it was total confusion. You see, this is what false religion does. False religion makes a lot of great promises. But it leads to two things. Failure and confusion. And that's exactly what happened here. I want you to remember, don't forget what I said, the the important truth about this text. God always has the last word. And boy, did he have the last word here, right? Verses 8 and 9 says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Verse 9, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Look look what they wanted to do. They wanted to to come together, and they wanted to build a, a monument to their own creativity, a monument to their own man-centered approach to to living and life. And God said, no, I want you scattered. So he scattered them abroad. And God said, I don't want you to understand each other. I want each nation to have its own language. And the city that means the gate to God became a city of confusion. In the end, all false religions will face the same failure and confusion that Nimrod and the people of Babel faced. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 and 2 and verse 8, the Bible says this. We're talking about the end of the age. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now remember, Babel is Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For this reason, verse 8, in one day her plagues will come and pestilence and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. My friend, listen to me carefully. God always has the last word. He had the last word in Nimrod's life. He had the last word in the city of Babylon's life. He had the last word in David's, David's life and in, 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 in Peter's life. He, he has the last word in your life too. So what's the difference? What's the difference between false religion and Christianity? 
That's a good question. Let me give you this, this little answer. False religion is man-centered and is focused on works. It's focused on what man can do. Whereas Christianity is God-centered and focuses on what only God can do for us and what God has done for us. That's the difference. That's why I tell you in the beginning of this sermon that Christianity is not a religion. Don't ever call Christianity a religion. It is not a religion. So what has God done? Well, God sent his son from heaven to earth. Isn't that interesting? From heaven to earth. God sent Jesus, his only son, to be incarnated in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And his son lived a perfect and sinless life. He never sinned a single time. His son sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary. We sang about the cross. I love to sing about the cross. His son was raised from the dead, gaining victory over Satan, sin, and death, all in one fatal movement there. His son ascended back to heaven. His son is going to come again, and his son will reign forever. And believe me, friend, God will have the last word. God will have the last word. And if you turn to Jesus and you trust him, he will save you. He will forgive your sins and he will give you the gift of eternal life. But if you reject him and you decide that you're going to fall in with a false religion of some kind, whether it be, do you realize atheism is a religion? It is a religion. If you fall into atheism or humanism or, or Mormonism or, 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 or globalism or whatever ism you want to, to say and, and you reject the son of the living God and you say, I don't need Jesus just the way Nimrod didn't need God. I tell you, friend, you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. I want to invite you today. The word come is used several times here in the text. You notice that? Come, come, come. Well, it's also used in Revelation chapter 22. It's also used in, in, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labored heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come. Come to Jesus. Some of you within the sound of my voice, you have fallen into the clutches of a false religion. And now's your chance to escape. Now's your chance. Now listen to me. You need to come to Jesus today need to believe in Jesus. And if you're a believer already, you need to come to this altar in just a moment and pray for those that you know who have fallen into the, the pit of a false religion. Pray for them. 
God will deliver them, that God will show them the truth, that God will bind the devil and not allow him to con confuse them and lead them into failure anymore. And if you're looking, if you, if, you, if you don't have a church home, you need a church home. I want to invite you to be a part of Carville First Baptist Church. Just come to one of our staff members. So I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. And we're going to give you a chance to respond to what God said to you in his word. I, I love this song we're going to sing. It's an old one. Just as I am. Let's stand and let's sing. And you come as God leads you. I hear the Step out and come. Thy this is your chance. Is small. Come to Jesus. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. and stay he washed hey let me pray heavenly father in the name of jesus i pray for any person within the sound of my voice whether they be home sitting on a couch or whether they watch a, a youtube youtube sermon of this sermon Lord I, whether they're here in this room I pray oh God please open their eyes please help them to understand the truth Lord Jesus you say that you're the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father but through you oh God save some soul today in Jesus name now let's sing that second verse oh Jesus Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, sin had left, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as thank you for taking this journey with me through Genesis 1 through 11. I think we got one more sermon. This is sermon number 20. 
And I think we got 21 coming up soon. So I encourage you, let, let's finish well with this sermon series. Hey, if, if you're a guest here today, I want to encourage you to come out and introduce yourself to me. I'll be by the bookstore. And I want to remind you, if you fill out a Connect card or you got your tithes and offerings with you, you can put them in the offering boxes as you leave. And Joshua, would you come and close us or AJ or? Amen. It's been a good day here in the house of the Lord. So just a reminder to be praying and lifting up all of those backyard kid clubs, all of the BKCs this week and all of its leadership. And if the Lord's working in your heart, maybe pressing you and saying, hey, I can help in some way, please let us know. We'd love to be able to get you plugged in this week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, we love you and we are so thankful for your love towards us, Lord God, even when we are unfaithful to you. Lord, you pursue us and your grace is new to us each and every day. Help us to live our lives in total obedience and in total um, abandonment to you and to you alone. May be glory in the cross of Jesus who paid it all for our sins. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.